Are you ready for the next level of leadership? It's going to be here before you know it. Today's leaders need the skills, connections, and savvy to become top professionals in their fields. Welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf. In the next hour, you'll meet people who have become successful at the helm of some of the most respected organizations in the world, and you can become the next big success story. Now, here's your host, Maureen Metcalf. Hi, I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf. Welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. I'm the founder and CEO of Metcalf & Associates. I work with leaders and their organizations, identifying the trends that will most likely disrupt their business and developing business strategies and business and leadership practices to leverage those trends and create strategic advantage and to create organizations that perpetually evolve. I'm a regular contributor to Forbes and the lead author of an award-winning book series focusing on innovating how you lead and transforming your organizations. I'm also an adjunct faculty member at universities in the U.S. and Germany. I'm really excited today. Our guest is Tamara Kleinberg. From being part of the elite group of TED speakers and competing in three tough mutters and counting, Tamara's life is about breaking through the status quo for game-changing results, and that's what her audiences learn how to do, too. When companies like Disney, Procter & Gamble, and Army Research Labs want to up their innovation quotient, they call Tamara. If you push your cart down the aisle at Target, you'll pass brands and products Tamara has helped bring to market. As the owner of a thriving entrepreneurial business, she knows what it takes to leverage innovation for growth. She's the creator of a wildly popular assessment, Innovation Quotient Edge, that helps people discover their unique innovator profile, and the founder of Launch Street, online education and community platform that helps launch innovation people. She's, she's been featured in Inc. Magazine, New York Times, Today Show, radio and podcasts across the globe, and is a regular contributor to the Huffington Post. So this show, Innovative Leadership, is really about helping leaders update their leadership algorithm or thinking process, and Tamara is a perfect guest to to add to that, helping us think about and become more innovative and helping us talk about how do we innovate our businesses. So my hope is with each of these shows that you hear something during the show that you can put into practice immediately. And because we talk about the mind of the leader being equal to the mind of the scientist, that scientists experiment. And so I invite you to experiment with a new behavior or a new thought process that can influence how you're leading. So Tamara's life is about breaking through the status quo for, for game-changing results, and that's what her clients learn to do, too. Today, we'll talk, through, talk about some of the key elements that enable her clients to be successful and how those same elements become barriers if not attended to. We also talk about the rate of change and the need to innovate. She's an expert in the art and science of innovation, not just changing products, but also culture and mindset. And for me, that's one of the things that I find most interesting about her work and the overlap with both of our work, that leaders need to innovate their mindset, and that drives innovative behavior. So I'm delighted that you're with us. Give us a little bit more background, and then let's step into uh, talking about the list of questions. 
Well, thank you so much for having me. I mean, you did such a great job with my intro. I'm not sure what's, what's left. It was so good. I wish I could just carry you around with me everywhere I go. <laughs> so good. Uh, you know, here, here's what I'll say. You know, I spent 20 plus years in innovation and I started my career in advertising on Madison Avenue and, you know, moved into global brand and innovation strategy. And, you know, I had this kind of aha moment one day where I realized that the power and the impact wasn't in giving people new ideas which is what I was paid to do. I was an innovation consultant, so a lot of new products, new services, new business models, but was actually teaching, so instead of that, the power was actually teaching people how to be innovative because what my work and research really showed was that being innovative is actually universal. We all do it, but how we do it is unique to each of us. And if I could get leadership to understand how they innovate and if I could help them tap the power of their teams, that's really where the value came. And that's where you started to see you know, exponential growth in our clients because they were learning to do it themselves. I think that's a great point, and it leads into the first question. The biggest pet peeve about uh, this idea that it's only special people that innovate and the rest of us wait for their brilliance to, you know, fall down on their heads. <laughs> you know, I, it's always the right. It's, it's, it's Sally down the hall, and she's got this blue streak in her hair, and she works out of cafes and has all Apple products. Like, she's so cool, and we wait for her. Or, you know, we, we silo innovation to a special team with a specific outcome in mind. Um, but, it's, but it's, you know, off campus and so more cooler than the rest of us or, you know, on a certain floor in a certain office. And the challenge with that is what ultimately happens is it leads to certain deaths with ideas because, you know, we've got these five people. And like you said, I love how you said it. We're kind of waiting for them to give us the insight and the, and the innovation. But, you know, the reality is we're actually all capable of, and that we're all responsible for innovation. And if you're a leader in an organization and you're looking truly to get ahead, whether that's in the marketplace, creating a high-performance team, um, you know, learning how to shift from incremental ideas to those high-impact ones, everybody on the team has to innovate up, down, and sideways on the ladder. And when you see that, really powerful things happen. We talk in our work, and this is recent, this idea that we're creating a perpetual innovation machine. So we're not waiting for Sally and hiring the next person with purple hair, but really it's the job of all of us to innovate. So we we talk about when is it time to innovate, and again, the idea that there's a... Uh, we're going to innovate or change either one, and then we're going to be done for a while. So when is it time to innovate? Yeah. So, you know, I, I think the mistake we often make is we treat innovation like a point-in-time exercise. And that usually, that time usually comes in a moment of crisis, doesn't it? It's, oh, no, the competition's done something, or, oh, the marketplace has changed, or, oh, no, we've lost so-and-so, so we've got to think differently about things. You know, and the challenge with that is innovation becomes a struggle. It becomes hard, doesn't it, when we expect it to happen at that. I kind of equate it because I used to have to go to these. Maureen, I don't know if you did too. Remember those 3 p.m. brainstorms with the scented markers and the blank eagle pads, <laughs> right? Yeah. And the moderator, like whoever's leading the meeting, and in a well-intentioned effort would warm you up with, okay, if you were an animal in the jungle, what would it be and why? And that's supposed to warm you up into innovation. And ultimately, when we create a point-in-time experience, you know, what we end up doing is, first of all, we're not warmed up. 
you know, we're at the gym of innovation, but we haven't stretched, so we're not ready, number one. And number two, um, you know, we're, we end up looking in the same box with the same stuff with the same people and then get really mad when that innovation genie doesn't pop out and give us new answers. I like to think of innovation, and when you look at organizations that are really thriving, innovation is a mindset. It's, it's ongoing. It's part of how you do things. And I think we see it time and time again in the marketplace, no matter what category you're in. Sometimes that innovation comes from really surprising places, but that's not going to happen if you're relegating it to, you know, certain people at certain times. So, you know, when we narrow that lane, we miss the opportunity of creating an innovation landscape where everybody participates. And the ideas come from everywhere. We know that intellectually, but we see it in action when innovation becomes a part of the culture. So then let's back up a little bit. What exactly do you mean by innovation? I'm so glad you asked that. So here's the definition I'd like to propose because of what we were just talking about. And this is the one that we use at Launch Street and that we actually get our clients on board with to get them through the you know, transformative process, whether that's changing their culture or launching new products, whatever they're looking for. So our definition of innovation is people, each thinking differently about what's right in front of us to create differentiated value. So people thinking differently about what's in front of us to create differentiated value. Exactly. So I'll just break it down for a second. So start with people. So it's about all of us. I mean, we, you know, we invest all this time and money in processes and technology, like a great collaboration software or, um, you know, an idea caching system. But the truth is innovation starts with each of us. And you can spend all the money and energy in the world, but if you don't get your people thinking differently, nothing is ever going to change, right? We've seen it time and time again. It's about the people, all of us, on the ladder thinking differently about what's right in front of us. So here's the part where I think people go, really, are you sure about that tomorrow? (laughs) Because, you know, we we expect innovation to be this lightning bolt that comes out of nowhere to create this blue sky idea that nobody's ever seen before. But the reality is we have to deal with the change, the resources, the people, the ideas, the needs, the demands that are right in front of us. And real innovation happens when you take all of that. I like to think of it as different color paint on a canvas. You take all of that change and and needs and everything, and you craft it into something meaningful and innovative for people. And when you look at actually great brands and products out there, take let's take Uber because everybody knows it. Uber is a great example of this. It feels totally different to us. But if you talk to the founder of Uber, he'll say, well, I was in Paris. I needed a ride. There were all these people going back and forth something right in front of them. And I thought, why do I need to wait for a taxi? Why can't one of these guys give me a ride? That's how the company was founded. And so they did a lot of effective things after that. But, yeah, so so it is – I think most of us have been sitting in front of something and said, wouldn't it be nice if – X. Right. Yes. That moment of frustration that we walk away from. And wouldn't it be nice if someone else invented it so I would have what I want? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I wish I'd invented the Chia Pet, um, among other things. (laughs) (laughs) Right, exactly. Well, I think ultimately great innovators are people who follow their frustrations or they follow the gap in the marketplace that they see, and they figure out how to create something brilliant out of it. And, you know, a lot of people have brilliant ideas. It just shows that we're all innovative, right? We all, anyone I run into after I keynote in particular will say to me, well, I had this idea. And they may have pursued it, they may not. I think what makes 
great leaders innovative and what gets them to create true cultures of innovation is when they give their people and themselves permission to follow some of that thinking. I was going to say a lot of us have great ideas, but we don't follow it with action. The wouldn't it be nice if is a common phrase in business, usually followed by wouldn't it be nice if you, Maureen, did something for me. Well, wouldn't it be nice if you did it yourself? (laughs) Brought forward a plan that would give us some ideas about how to put this in action. Yeah, you know, and what I love about kind of what you're saying is, A, it's frustrating. It's not like, well, you go do it then. Um, is it just shows the inertia that can set in that makes can make innovation hard. And oftentimes what I find is that stems from cultures that don't allow for experimentation. So I think oftentimes if we look at the culture of a company um, and on a team, whether that's small or large, you know, you've got this front end of innovation. It's all discovery and you've got, you know, excitement. And then the cliff comes in and it's skepticism and fear. And ideas just, you know, they just fall off. They're like, no. Right, all the way down the cliff. <laughs> well, and again, the, you're, so you're pointing to culture, which is yeah. It, sorry, I'm it, that idea that not only do I have the idea, but we have a. The incubator. And it doesn't yeah. have to be this, to your point, special people in a weird place with orange walls. It's all of us in an environment that the leader has created that promotes ideas and action together. And safety. That's exactly right. Yeah, no, you're totally spot on. And, you know, with the. I think what we need to think about as leaders is how do we create room for experimentation? And whether that's with duct tape and, you know, going to Home Depot and building something or just a dark corner, one client, one internal decision maker to test something out, how do we... How do we bridge that chasm between theory and reality? Because, you know, I, I think, unfortunately, the, the best, most innovative ideas look ridiculous on paper or they get shut down in our brain with that, oh, well, you know, what if, but we don't go any further. But they're the ones that we reward in the marketplace. If you look at the brands, the businesses, the products, the things that we open up our wallets for and engage in, it's the ones that are innovative and do it differently. But we've got to bridge that chasm. So, so real quickly, and we'll pick up with this again, how do you bridge the chasm? That's the magic, right? It is the magic. I love how you said that. It is so magical. That, to me, is all about tiny little quick, rapid experimentation. It's okay. about, and, and on a very small scale, I mean, I think we often think of, like, if I have this idea, I have to launch it full-blown. I'm talking as small as you can possibly make it and then get it a little bigger and a little bit bigger and getting feedback and feedback along the way so that when you do eventually launch, it optimizes. But you know, you got to build that bridge kind of one plank at a time. That's how experimentation works. So, so kind of leveraging the agile mindset, agile software development methodology in innovation, what's the smallest minimum viable product that I can yeah. create and put into some, not even necessarily the marketplace, but some place to get feedback. Exactly. And I'm a huge fan of doing it internally for as long as you possibly can. And not internally in the sense of don't involve customers, but I mean, like, go to your bosses, go to colleagues, then go to potential customers. It doesn't have to be this big thing in the marketplace. And, you know, with Agile, when I was talking to a group of CIOs, and uh, they were struggling with the, you know, it has to happen every two weeks. I think part of the reason they put that in there is, 
if you don't have a deadline, sometimes things, you know, the analysis paralysis <laughs> kicks in and you're at the same place you were six months later. It yeah. doesn't have to be every two weeks. But the idea is, can you quickly implement, edit, implement, edit? And um, I think we have to go to break, if I'm not mistaken. But when we come back, we can talk about a process that we have that allows you to do that with any type of idea. Perfect. So we're going to go to break. Thank you for that, later. <laughs> Uh, this is Tamara Amorian, and we are talking about innovation. We'll be right back. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Metcalf & Associates is a management consulting and leadership development firm dedicated to helping leaders, their management teams, and their organizations implement innovative leadership and business practices to help create market differentiation necessary to thrive in this rapidly changing environment. As the author of eight award-winning leadership books, Maureen Metcalf and her associates are positioned to help you and your organization grow and thrive. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen is ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your needs through her expertise in keynote speaking, leadership coaching and training, transformational and organizational growth consulting. For your business, we can help with facilitated leadership retreats, organizational planning, culture alignment, individual and organizational assessments, online leadership development programs, and one-on-one or corporate-wide leadership development sessions. Move forward with Metcalf and Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. What is the forum? It's an engaged discussion with the forward-thinking experts in today's business world. Hosted by Seema Vasa, an entrepreneur and thought leader. This is a place where you can come to talk, ask, and trust. We're not looking to sell you anything, but we are here to tell you the truth. If you want to hear about honest perspectives and winning success stories, listen for The Forum, live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program. So before we went to break, we were talking about rapid innovation. So this is Maureen and Tamara. And we're talking about innovation. So we were talking about rapid experimenting and agile and that idea of two-week cycles 
and that that was created mainly to say it's rapid, not that it has to be rigorously two weeks every every cycle. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, it's sometimes you need those self-imposed deadlines. So I was talking to a client of mine, really large government organization, if you can believe, they're really focused on innovation and or trying to be more innovative and entrepreneurial. And one of the things they were asking me about is how do you how do you do that? And I think part of that is is a feeling of urgency and not giving yourself the ability to get into that analysis paralysis because you can't, you don't have time. You got to get things moving, right? Otherwise, you're not paying your mortgage at some point. So you got to keep moving the needle forward. And you, we've built these really cool rapid experimentation labs. And I'll just tell you quickly that what our clients love about them is in a day or maybe two days, we can go through this cycle of continual experimentation and feedback and optimizing. And the ideas where they start or where they end really become drastically different because they've had that forced um, urgency along with that feedback loop that they need. So by the time you get them to market, they're so much more optimized. But, you know, in order to really bring innovation to life, we've got to allow for that experimentation to happen. So can everyone do this? Which part, the experimentation or the innovation? Both, because it sounds like it's a, a continuous cycle. So are there special people that come up with ideas and then other people put things into production, or is the idea person, or is it all of the above? How, tell me a little bit more about how it works. Yeah, so it's, the answer is everybody, kind of going back to our original part of the conversation, everybody is, is capable of and responsible for being innovative. But what we have found over these years, and this goes to a lot of the research coming out of our assessment that we built. So it's the Innovation Quotient Edge assessment. It tells you your unique innovator archetype. So there's nine triggers to innovation, and it's the combination of the top two with the presence of your dormant that tells you how you innovate, the unique way that you bring innovation to life and the way that you can do it uh, to place your strengths versus making it hard and feeling like an energy suck. It feels like a, a wellspring of, you know, energy and innovation. So what we found in that is everybody is a part of the innovation process, but people play different roles in it. So I'll give you kind of a, a quick example. There are some who are great at the front end, they're risk takers, they're um, experientials, which actually happens to be my two combine, to combine together. So I'm great at the front end because I'm all about leaping, about being uncomfortable. That's how I innovate is by pushing the needle, by, by stretching boundaries and by experimenting. I love just trying things out and seeing what happens. So I'm great at the front end of innovation. Laura, who works with me, she's our business manager here at Launchery. She is phenomenal. She is a tweaker and a collaborative. So what that for her is she is, if I give her something to start, I've, I've started an idea, she is amazing at editing and evolving, adjusting it, and bringing innovation in that part of the process. Because she's collaborative, she's also really great at getting other people involved in the process and getting their perspective and their ideas and pulling it all together. So everybody's innovative, but we can all play different roles. And I think what's important for us as leaders to remember is that innovation doesn't just happen in that front end, blue sky, forest through the trees, isn't it all, what ifs and possibilities, no handcuffs. Yeah, that's a part of the process. But just as much innovation is possible and should be expected in the implementation phase as well. I mean, how many times has a, you know, your idea hit, hit the ground and you've realized, oh, wait, we need to adjust things. Those people who are involved in implementation should be given permission to innovate, too. It's just as important. I think it's um, is it Muhammad Ali that said, everybody has a plan until you get punched in the face. 
Yeah, that's why. Because that, but innovation's kind of the same way. Like it's all great, but that innovation has to happen in action too. Yeah, I do or did earlier in my career uh, do some now, but um, some change management work. And everyone has a plan, and projects never unfold as planned. And it's not that I'm pessimistic; they just don't. And so it's yeah, I start with that and. Then I, I like that the, there's a Tai Chi move that, that's take the hit as a gift. So something mm-hmm. comes at me that I wasn't expecting. How do I leverage that into a positive? That's so cool. I love that. I've never heard that before. And that's exactly what it is. I mean, that, you can be innovative and have the best intentions in your plan, but a lot of, you know, the real work happens when you implement. And you, but you've got to have room for that. It can't be an all or none the minute you roll something out, whether that's a new initiative or a new service to your clients, you know, a new product on the shelf. You've got to have room for that growth to happen there, too, which is, I think, with the Tai Chi, right? Like, you get the punch, you don't go down, hopefully. No. <laughs> well, and if you go down, you get up, right? right. <laughs> I, I hiked, and uh, I, I still do, but w- one of my early experiences was an outward bound trip, and I thought I was going to hike the entire week in Costa Rica without wet shoes. And of course. Makes perfect so sense. I, so I'm working mm-hmm. very hard to avoid puddles and things. And then we do a <laughs> river crossing. Like, okay, I'm wearing heavy leather boots, and I'm going to be dragging myself with wet feet through another week of hiking. It's that once we realize that that you're not going to follow the plan, then there's a liberation in now I get to play. Yeah, it, it is. You're so right. It is so freeing to to give yourself that room to play a little bit and to try new things and to recognize that some things are not going to work, and that's okay because when you expect that, when that's part of your plan of hey. Part of our plan is some of this is not going to go as we want it to go, so we're going to be able to just as we go. I'll give you a very quick random example, but I swear it comes together. It's just how my brain works. I do CrossFit, and the other day we had a back squat uh, one rep max challenge, so we've been working up to get this. The plan is to put the bar on my shoulders, squat down, but keep my body basically upright. You don't kind of lean forward, and then come back up, and that plan works up to 107 kilos. I did it exactly as planned. Done, I had done it before. I knew what I was in for. I knew the feeling. And then I got to 110 kilos and that plan completely fell apart on me. <laughs> and in that moment of being way down low and having all this weight on my back, I had to figure out a plan for getting back up that was not what I originally intended. And you know, I got up and I just instantly laughed of like, this is just so much like life. When you have the experience and you're used to it, you know the plan because you've done it before. And that's, I think, a lot of why in business we go back to what we always know because we know what to expect. We've seen it before. But when you're being innovative, that bar is heavier and your plan has to adjust. I can't believe I just shared that with everybody out loud. But <laughs> it happened the other day, so I thought of it. Well, and what I hear is two things. A mindset of, of course, stuff goes wrong. And it's part of the experimentation process. Good scientists, yeah. one of my clients uh, was a, is a world-class researcher, and she said, I'm as happy to be proven wrong as proven right. What I want to do is the experiment, and she's about helping people who, with hearing deficiencies hear. So uh, I just want to get better, and I don't have to be right. I have to get closer to, 
to having a solution so that people can hear. It's a really important problem I'm trying to solve. And if I'm focused on being right, I miss the opportunity to solve the problem. Who wants that? I want people to hear. And so if we take that mind of a scientist or mind of a researcher, the mindset and the culture, because if the culture punishes me, so, so if you're a CrossFit and someone hits you over the head with the bar after you, after you go down, uh, clearly you're not going to do that again. But the <laughs> laughter seems to break the problem or break the, the, um, the, the expectation that we're perfect. Well, I really, I, I really appreciate that story, what she said about if I'm trying to be right, I'm actually going to miss the solution I'm seeking in the long run. Um, and I think that that is a really important thing to, for us to keep in mind as, as leaders because, it, you know, there's, al- there's almost always more than one answer to a solution. And I think the other thing that trying to be right forces is anxiety and uh, it, it, it shuts people down. So they're not as willing to take those smart risks. They're not as willing to try those new ideas that are probably going to be really brilliant for your business, but they're not going to try them if it's, you know, I always equate it to your two, if your two outcomes are the failure shell or cake on Friday, and that's it, you're probably not going to do it. Versus, you know, I love in your story, and I find this so true, a failure equals laughter, right? Like that breaks the, the concern that everyone's looking at you waiting to see if you're going to throw something or cry. And laughter just says, ah, okay, fine. What's next? It, yeah. Just as, especially as leaders where people look to us when they make a mistake and wait for us to almost do what their parents did, right? You're bad, you get hit, or you get scolded, or you, you lose your ice cream privileges or something. You know, it's almost like we make a mistake and we revert, in some cases, to a time in life when we were younger and it was dangerous to make mistakes. And as soon as we as bosses react with anger or frustration, even if we are angry and frustrated, we kill the, the environment that supports innovation. Yeah, you know, you're so right. And I do think that that training we get as a kid does imprint on us. And, you know, we, we, we go back to what we know. We go back to what we've always been taught, which is you have to have the right answer, right? So you're penalized for the wrong answer. It happens in schools. It happens in our homes. You know, you're supposed to always have the right answer. And the real world and work and business and innovation really don't work that way. And, you know, it's funny. I was just, what came to my mind was just the other day is, um, you know, you got to give your people not just permission to innovate, but accountability for it, accountability for whatever the result is and understand what they learned from it. And, you know, we were doing some marketing materials and I'd given our business manager permission to go off and do it. And, you know, I'd say 97% of it was not only spot on, but above expectations, but there was 3% that didn't work out the way it was planned. And it just didn't serve what we were trying to do. And we'd spent money on these materials, but instead of being punitive, I went to her and said, Hey, you know, I think that this all stuff worked. You know, we had this conversation about what didn't work. What did we learn and what are we going to do differently? So let's go do that. So it wasn't a punitive conversation. It was a conversation of what happened to your, you know, to, the, to your colleague. What happened? What did we learn? And how can we adjust? And if we don't treat new ideas, new thinking, when people try things that way, we end up shutting them down. Well, and I love the idea, what did we learn? As a researcher and a scientist, rather than a, a drill instructor 
what I want my people to do, whether they're my clients or, or my colleagues, is this, this, we're calling it kind of a perpetual evolution machine. I have to continually evolve or innovate my business and myself. It, I can't continue to evolve my products if I'm continuing, if I think like I did when I graduated from college. I mean, I just saw a, I think it, I might have the math slightly wrong, but I think the impact is the same. In, you know, in the, uh, was it 1954, I think the average, I think of all the, port, let me see if I get this right. I'm probably going to botch it, but I think it says exactly what you're saying. I think it was of the companies that were on the Fortune 500 in 1954, which were tried and true, been there forever, were going to be for, there forever, only 61, I believe, still exist. Exist, so, and they're not on the fortune list, probably. No, probably not. Probably not. And you know, it, and I could I could have the numbers slightly wrong, but the the point is the same. We have to keep innovating and staying ahead. And you know, what worked yesterday, what was successful yesterday, is not what makes us successful tomorrow. We see it time and time again. I always joke. I have this slide when I key, keynote called the Tombstone slide, and it's got you know BlackBerry, Pan Am. Um, E.F. Hutton, you know, Kodak, all these companies on there that were once icons of industry. And what makes me laugh even harder when I share it is I can see for the younger people in the room out there who are looking at it like, Blackberry, when did an entire fruit go extinct? Like, they don't even know what that is. And that was not that long ago. In fact, at one point, I don't do it now just for copyright violations or trademark violations. I used to say, don't be the Blackberry of leadership. They were the top of the game. And then they weren't. Right, exactly. They were, and then they weren't because someone swept, you know, they came in very quickly and they didn't keep up with the times. Sears is one of my favorite examples because, you know, they're on their way out. They're, 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 they're shutting down. They're in the process. It's a slow, painful, large ship, but it's shutting down. And yet they have two of the most iconic brands out there in the marketplace for appliances and home, home appliances. But, you know, they're, they're an interesting because they had the opportunity to move online, shift with the marketplace, but they said, no, no, our catalog. I mean, some people out there are going, what's the catalog tomorrow? What are you even talking about? Our catalog is so successful, we don't need to do that. So they rested on their success. So success today, not success tomorrow. And we can point to companies like Kodak, same thing. Yeah. Yeah, Kodak, you know, Kodak doubled down on quality when the marketplace was saying, I don't want quality, I want accessibility. So as, as we're ending this segment, why do some organizations excel at developing great ideas, but they don't put them into practice? So you just talked about Sears, we talked about Kodak, BlackBerry. I'm assuming that they have, well, Kodak certainly had ideas. Why is it some are putting them in practice and some are not, and maybe let's, let's have that conversation when we come back. Sounds good. So let's go to break. This is Tamara and Maureen talking about innovation. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. Metcalf & Associates is a management consulting and leadership development firm dedicated to helping leaders, their management teams, and their organizations implement innovative leadership and business practices to help create market differentiation necessary to thrive in this rapidly changing environment. 
As the author of eight award-winning leadership books, Maureen Metcalf and her associates are positioned to help you and your organization grow and thrive. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen is ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your needs through her expertise in keynote speaking, leadership coaching and training, transformational and organizational growth consulting. For your business, we can help with facilitated leadership retreats, organizational planning, culture alignment, individual and organizational assessments, online leadership development programs, and one-on-one or corporate-wide leadership development sessions. Move forward with Metcalf & Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. You have a message. You want to share that message. You want it to be social, to go viral, and spread across the planet. But how do you get started? Tune into Amplify, featuring host Ken Roshan. This show is here to help you take that message and channel it through the most effective marketing techniques to not only be successful, but have a positive impact on the world. Tune in live every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel, and get Amplified. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. You're with Tamara and Maureen, and we're talking about innovation. So before break, I teed up the question about organizations. Why do why do some organizations come up with great ideas, but they just can't put them into practice? So, you know, it's so interesting, isn't it? Because oftentimes when we look at the kind of outside looking in, it looks like they should have been the one. Like Kodak should have done Instagram. How is that not possible? They had the people and the ideas and the resources. I'll say the biggest roadblock, and then I'll flip to the other side of the coin of kind of what the ones do right. I think the biggest roadblock is silos. It's, you know, you had kind of alluded to in the beginning, too. It is, you know, people in their little hot spots of innovation, but none of it's connecting. So the dots aren't connecting, so the bigger picture doesn't even come to life. It's just one little, you know, one lone innovation light bulb out in the, in the department down the hall on its own. So I think that's the biggest roadblock. But when I look at our clients and really leaders in the marketplace, and regardless of the category, I see those. There's three things that really stand out for me from what we've seen. One is, 
everybody is a part of innovation. Everybody is expected to be innovative. Ideas come from anywhere. Leadership listens to their people. Um, you know, I was talking to the president of Cinnabon, and we were talking about Cinnasticks and Cinnabites and where that came from. It came from one part-time employee counter worker at a mall in the middle of America. The, the smart um, organizations, the leading organizations, recognize that those ideas come from everywhere. And I'd say the two other things is one experimentation, which we've talked a lot about, that permission to try, to test out, to have more of that researcher mindset, to out outcomes, not failure versus success. The last one that I see a lot of, a lot of, of the organizations do right is they have no walls between them and their customers. And what I mean by that is their business isn't sucked and looked inward. It's actually outward facing. They're always having conversations with their customers. Their customers are more a part of their tribe, actually, than they are customers. They, there's these two-way conversations, these feedback loops that are always happening. They're always engaging and listening. I think all too often we make innovation this internal thing, and then we say, well, we get it 90% baked. Then we'll go to customers. We, you know, we don't want to embarrass ourselves. But the truth is, our customers are eager to go along on the ride with us. They want the unexpected from us, and they're willing to play along and to have things not quite right. So if we can break down those, those barriers, we can get a ton more innovation happening inside the company as well. And a lot more quickly. Yeah. I mean, you have a built-in focus. You don't need to go to focus groups. You have built-in customers who are willing to tell you exactly what they think. So the example of Cinnabon, they may have picked a store. And people are excited to get – it, it's a, an elite experience almost that we're the special people that got picked to do market research with you. Yeah, and, you know, people have ideas. You know, you said earlier, right, that people who kind of are like, oh, if you could just do this. I guarantee you every time I go into a store in the back of my brain and probably in the back of anybody else's brain who's shopping there is, I wish the jeans were in the front because that's really what I'm coming in for. Or, oh, I wish this had a handle. Or, you know, I wish with their service they'd provide this value to me or do customer service in this way. We're all thinking it, and we're all Mm -hmm. eager to to be asked. Just somebody ask me. It's like my kids. Like, they're desperate for me to ask them, what do you want to do today? That's all they're at. They're waiting. Dated breath for me to ask. (laughs) Well, and to do what they recommended. That's the other, is if we ask, we have to give some feedback. Even if it's a, a recommendation that we don't implement, we, we've got to circle back and say, this is, this is how we deployed your idea or this is why we didn't. You're so right about that. And So I was talking to a small business owners, and they said, so they asked me about this feedback, and they said, here's the deal. We asked for feedback. We, they, in fact, they had a, you know, one of those feed, feedback boxes in their office, and they said, but we just get these bad sticky notes. They're not even good ideas anyway, so we don't do anything with them. But why don't we get more feedback? Like, well, I don't even know where to start with what you just said. <laughs> but you're so right. And here's the thing. When you provide that feedback and say, here are all the things we heard, and here's why we're moving forward with this, People feel value and heard. It's not about being right and having your idea move forward. It's about being part of the process. Yeah, years ago I ran a total quality management program, and I, I was basically one of my responsibilities was the monitor of the suggestion box. Mm-hmm. And, it, we, yeah, you could t- certainly take some of the ideas and say, boy, that's dumb, that's dumb, make fun of them. Um, or you could say that idea as proposed won't work, but how do we batch it with something else and create something that does solve a problem? But it became my role as the innovation person or the suggestion girl 
to really look at the intent behind the suggestions and solve a, try to come up with leverage what they suggested to solve a problem even if they hadn't done it in a way that was comprehensive. Yeah, you know, years ago I was working on this project and, um, you know, we had all these suggestions and a couple of them were, were never going to work. And they were the type that if you're not the, the person in those shoes, you look at that idea and you go, oh, that's ridiculous. And I'll never forget, these couple ideas were just getting, you know, what all over from the group because it just was like, oh, they just don't know what they're doing. It doesn't make sense. But someone on the other side said, hold on. I'm not sure about the idea, but let's figure out why they're saying that. Like, what's, under, what's their motivation underneath that idea? Mm-hmm. And I will never forget, and I will tell you, when I left that company two years later and that girl called me and said, I'm looking for a new job, she was the first person I hired because she understood that it was about intent and about meaning, not just about the idea. Um, and that's the person you want to recognize on your team because they'll think differently about it, too. So that sounds like a perfect lead-in to this idea that, as leaders, we need to give people tools, so understanding underlying intent and a a large range of other tools. Why do leaders need to go beyond this, we all say we want innovation and everyone should give us ideas, to giving people very concrete tools like you teach? Speak more about that. Yeah. So I walked into, I just have to tell you, a company town hall meeting. It's a company I was doing some innovation work with. And the leader stood up there, the president of the company, and said, innovation is our theme. We want to be out of the box. We've got, you know, all the cliche. You know, we've got to shake up the status quo. Um, you know, we've got, to, we've got to beat the competition. I want an idea on my desk and I want it by three. So they got everybody all riled up. I mean, people left there so enthused and excited. Oh, my gosh, I can think differently. I'm going to be able to challenge conventional thinking, especially for the newer employees who were kind of excited to make their mark. Three months later, I went back, and the culture and I'd say the energy in the, in the office was worse than when I very first met with them because the leadership had stood up there and gave them all these great promise, and there was innovation was written all over the walls in different fonts. It was so cool. But nothing else happened after that. And I think we as leaders, what we need to be mindful of is we got to get innovation beyond the lip service, beyond the plaque on the wall. Because, um, you know, all that does is frustrate everybody. It frustrates us as leaders because we go, well, I told them to be innovative and they're not doing. And then it frustrates our teams because they go, well, I don't even know what to do or how to do it. And you're not really listening to my ideas anyway. So everybody leaves worse off <laughs> when they started, which is not the intention at all. Everybody has good intentions in this. What I think is important, and it's actually the reason we created our Launch Street On Demand, which is our online innovation portal. It's got quick hit videos, micro-learning segments, and podcasts, and resources, and top tools. It's got all this, this kind of content-rich uh, portal was because what we realized is if we could get beyond lip service and actually give people the tools that they needed to innovate in the moment they needed it they would actually put that concept into action. So you could stand up there in the town hall meeting and say, hey, we've got to shift our thinking. The marketplace is changing. We are, we're going to move past the incremental. And you now have a portal to be able to warm up that part of your brain, to have the tools you need in the meetings to think differently. Um, it creates a huge difference in the results that we see because, I mean, I think it kind of makes sense, right? It's like in our own personal lives. I say, I'm going to lose 20 pounds, but then I have no real, not just plan, but tools to make that happen, it doesn't happen. Innovation is the same way. 
Which is why something like Weight Watchers is so popular and effective. Right, and so successful. So, so what I hear is I need, as an individual, I need tools. I also need to address the mindset of innovation, the culture of innovation, and really processes. So something like we've got people who throw suggestions over. You know, I used to, to laugh when we had this innovation, uh, the suggestion program. It's like you stick them through the mail slot in someone's <laughs> door, but the house is deserted. So, so, you need... so, so we wonder where these suggestions go. And yeah. to your point, I get even more frustrated when someone says, I want your ideas, I give them my ideas, and they go into the deserted house. I, I'm, I'm yeah. now, I feel like I've been lied to. Yeah, and then you you shut down, right? You don't want to give them ideas in the future, and then the idea you know funnel becomes smaller and smaller and smaller, and you get frustrated and angry. You don't feel valued, and you know to take it to the level of employee engagement. If you ask employees what makes them feel valued or you know gives them engagement in their work, it's feeling invested in and feeling valued in what they bring to the table. And you can't have a deserted house and have people feel valued. I love that analogy. Thank you. And one of the, the assessments we use is focuses on organizational vibrancy. And one of the questions is we, we seek out ideas from everyone all the time. So, so we encourage them. But, again, you're talking about tools, having that an idea goes into now the electronic suggestion box or whatever we call it, the 3 o'clock special marker meeting, and then we're able to look at the underlying intent and move it through a, a process. What's the conveyor belt from idea to new product, new process, new customer relation uh, mechanism? I, I'm assuming yep. that that's a lot of your work as well, is helping people move from idea to reality. That's so right, and I love the conveyor belt. It is you got to move it down the line. I mean, an idea is only as good as your ability to execute on it. So you can have all the ideas in the world, but there's, there's no process for execution. And it's why on our on-demand program on Launch Street, we actually have three categories with all this different, you know, the videos and the content underneath. One is behavior, so that's the right, the mindset, getting your innovator archetype, getting giving yourself permission to innovate. Then it's the culture, which is all about creative problem-solving, exercises, templates, you know, bringing it to the meetings, to the brainstorms, to yourself, actually implementing. And then the last one, which is the one I think that often gets overlooked, we call it momentum. Another thing to call it is action or outcome. How do you get traction for your ideas? How do you test your ideas? How do you move your ideas from idea to the real world? Uh, because you need all of those to be successful. I love that you have a my word, and I'm not even sure it's a word, is tangibilization. Oh, I like it. I don't know if it's a word, but I think it should be. <laughs> yeah, so taking it from, yeah, idea, culture of innovation and, and creativity to turning it into a result, because otherwise it's entertainment. But I don't usually get paid for entertainment. I get paid to deliver something that makes an impact. Yeah, you know, I, I was talking to a, a client of mine in the produce category, and she has said to me, you know, here's the thing about our world. We don't get judged on if we do our job based on our job description. Mm-hmm. The way we truly get judged in my company is, and she was saying, kind of equating it to what was happening in her industry, 
is, did we solve a problem or did we find a new opportunity? And that is a much bigger thing than I'm, you know, tasked with answering my emails within 48 hours and, you know, getting product A from point A to point B. That's where innovation comes into play because the reality of today's marketplace is that's what we need to get ahead in our, in our personal uh, and professional careers as well as how do, I, how do I have the tools and the ability to, to solve problems in a new and meaningful way? How do I find those gaps and those opportunities and have the wherewithal to be able to go after them? So let's shift focus in the last couple minutes and talk about your Launch Street organization and other what would you recommend to people? So I listen to this show, and it sounds really cool, and I want to do that, but how do, how do I get from I listen to a podcast to I'm taking action? Oh, what a great question. So when I think of Launch Street in total, um, there's two things I'd love, I'd love to share. One is you know, we really think of ourselves as the catalyst for people and organizations that are looking to outperform the competition, outmaneuver the marketplace, and leverage what we think is this most greatest untapped resource, which is innovation, and use that as a competitive advantage. And we really do that in three ways. Um, one is the innovation quotient edge assessment. So that's the assessment that tells you your innovator archetype. And, you know, what clients tell us is that's what get, empowers them to unlock that part of themselves and bring that value to the table and, and work at a higher level. Um, the second part is our on-demand, which is our membership site. We have individuals and clients in there um, we, you know, so we like to call them intrapreneurs, where, you know, innovators inside organizations totally rocking it. And we have whole teams on it as well, which is great because everybody's working towards being more innovative together. Um, and the third way is, you know, I have the privilege of going around the country with keynotes and sharing with organizations and associations at meetings and conferences um, what it means to be innovative and how you implement that on your day-to-day world. I talk a lot about something we call daily innovation deposits, which is just one little moment, one action of innovation every day. Because if we all just did that, it would add up to incredible innovation. We don't have to worry about suddenly shifting gears. We We just need to do one little thing. Okay, so we need to close with that. Thank you so much. And for listeners, please give us feedback. Reach out to me at info at metcalf-associates.com. Tomorrow, what's your contact information? Thank you so much for having me. Go to launchreet.com is the way to find me. Cool. Thank you. Thank you for joining Innovative Leaders with Tamara and Maureen talking about innovation. And I invite you as leaders to pick one thing you heard from this show and test it out. We've talked about the mind of the scientist So what experiment are you going to do this week? Thank you again for joining us this week. Please tune in for another edition of Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope to see you here next week.